partner, them spiting words. I hope you strap on your irons and meet me outside. Mm. We got some business. So I hired a gun. Hire two guns. We don't need it. Oh, I like my Old West accent. I'm really feeling it. I am feeling. I'm feeling the Old West. It sounds good. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we hunt for victory as a pack. In Ultimate Werewolf Legacy. Next, our strategies take flight to make the points soar in Wingspan. And lastly, the Old West gets wild as we strike out and defend our claims in Cattlemen. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Howdy, I'm Evan Bernstein. Yippee-ki-yay! I'm Ed Povolaitis, and them there are fighting words. I'm Mike Grenier, and I'm a wrestler, baby, and I want you to know. Our first game up this week is Ultimate Werewolf Legacy, designed by Ted Alsbach and Rob Daviau, published by Bezier Games in 2018. Number of players, 9 to 16, ages 14 and up. Playtime, 60 minutes per episode. Okay, when we found the shredded remains of this game, what were our first thoughts? Evan? Werewolf? Werewolf. Ed? Um, Evan, you seem a little bit gruff there, and is that blood? Mike? From what I remember about Werewolf, don't most of the players die before the end of the game? The game comes with a huge leather-bound black and crimson journal for the storyteller to read from. The scene is certainly set. But before we lower the lights and crack the spine on this review, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Ultimate Werewolf Legacy, players are given secret roles and need to find whom among them are werewolves. Meanwhile, the werewolves are trying to eat everyone else in the village before they are discovered. Players need to use their wit and insights to deduce the actions of others in order to survive and win. As a legacy game, the player's decisions will impact future games, and they can earn special abilities that carry over between games. The village itself will change over time based on both the decisions of the players and the outcomes of each game session. Guys, party game and a legacy game? What do we think about that? I know, who would have thunk it? It's a bold venture into a new, relatively new, class of games. Yeah, I mean, Werewolf is an old social deduction game that people have been playing a while. And of course, Ultimate Werewolf includes a whole bunch of special roles that spice up that standard game. So legacy games are games that continue over many plays and things change as you go. But a party game is designed to just sort of play casually in a big group. One of the things this game uses to try and get over that is this huge journal that the storyteller uses to keep track of everything. Yeah. And one of the tricks they use too is to have a family that progresses because in Werewolf, you know, most of the players die during the game, the werewolves and the actual villagers and stuff. So you need some way to tell the story in a continuing way as a legacy. So they use families as a device. I see. So let's say you're playing the first round and your particular character gets eaten by a werewolf. It doesn't mean that's the end for you and you can't come back and continue in future rounds. 
Right. You don't have to sit out the next like 20 games that get played. And you could earn special abilities that are beyond your player card, and you'll continue to have those special abilities as the game goes on, even if you died. So the game actually progresses and the story progresses, and it's written out in this journal. So the storyteller is the mm-hmm. GM, game master, dungeon master, for lack of a better term. Or sometimes to call the moderator. Which is kind of a dull term. I like storyteller <laughs> better. Because things get eaten, you can consider yourself the luncheon master. <laughs> the journal is great for keeping track of everything, especially since you can have up to 16 players in this thing. Oh, man. So it's a lot to keep track of. The journal has a lot of writing in it already. That is the actual story you're going to be walking them through. But it also has places for you to handwrite in information and to sticker things if changes are made. Rules can change based on decisions that players make. Boy, I really liked that each episode was a next generation. Kind of has to be, right? By design. Unless you want to have a, a game where there's a bunch of undead walking around with uh, werewolf injuries. And the diary is cool because it breaks up the game into chapters, which are three games that are tied together. So it's mm-hmm. best to play three games and finish a chapter because it tells a little bit of a story. And then the next chapter, we'll unveil a new story. So obviously, we don't have enough players just among us. So we had to pull in the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, guys. <laughs> and we played over at um, Jay's house. And they're not dumb guys, right? They'll be happy <laughs> to hear that, Celeste. And, and, and they can be a little devious. <laughs> So how hard was it that night for us to sort of get clear on what we were doing and get rolling into the murders? It seemed like a lot of players were picking it up that hadn't played it before. The rules themselves were relatively easy to follow. You're issued a card. You don't show it to anybody. That is who you are. You're either werewolf or human or something else. And then you get put on your role-playing hat, man, and get (laughs) role-playing. Yep. For some reason, the pace of the game seems slower than it needed to be. I don't know if that was just people not getting into their roles quickly enough or if other people were having any kind of misinterpretation of how the rules and things worked, but the the pace seemed slower than it needed to be. I find that as an interesting comment because in the regular werewolf game, there's a lot of different variations on how much time you can spend before the decision part is over. Some of the storytellers let them go on as long as they want to. This game actually had a timer. This game comes with a timer app. Mm-hmm. I found the timer confusing. It was not a well laid out timer. I guess the last one that I played with was Five Minute Dungeon, and I liked that one much better. I also had a bit of a problem as the storyteller navigating the book. I didn't find that the journal was the most intuitively designed to get you right into playing the game. It does warn you that the storyteller is going to have to sit down with this book and do some reading ahead of time to be ready. I agree the pacing was a little slow, and I think that would help if the uh, storyteller reads the rules, understands them thoroughly before starting the game. And there is a lot to do to keep the pacing going. You've got 16 people in front of you and you're trying to control a legacy level narrative, which is far more complex than the regular werewolf game. So let me just break it down for you because it's very simple at its core. 
Um, so what happens is a few of the players are going to be werewolves or on team evil. And I'll explain the rest of that in a minute. Um, and then the rest of the players will all be villagers or somebody special on team good. Uh, every night people will fall asleep. So that means everybody's going to close their eyes. The moderator will tell the werewolves to wake up. So they'll open up their eyes. They know who each other is. And at night they're going to choose somebody to eat. And then everybody will close their eyes again. When everybody wakes up, that person is dead. And now it becomes a mob scene of all the uh, the different villager people and the werewolves all talking about who they should lynch tonight because there's still murderers amongst their group. This player no. has been nominated and no. seconded. Second. You have one minute to defend yourself to the village before they go. Are you all going to live in an atmosphere of fear? You're going to accuse each other wantonly and try to kill one another without cause or justification? Well then, fine! May God have mercy on all of your souls! <laughs> yes, that, that's the, the crust of the game. It's during the discussion, trying to figure out who the werewolves are and lynch them. And it's very possible that you'll end up lynching another villager instead. That's the deduction part of the game. Right. Mathematically more possible because there's fewer werewolves than there are people. Because once the werewolves outnumber or equal the number of villagers, the village dies and the werewolves win. What draws you guys in about this game? I love watching the arbitrary decisions that happen early on in the game of who to actually kill at night. (laughs) Because everybody thinks they have a method of seeing somebody's tell. They'll do stuff like go around the the room and look people in the eye and ask them, are you a werewolf? And look for some kind of tell. And they're almost always completely wrong. The people who are the surest about who a werewolf is are usually way off. The werewolf. Yeah, or the werewolf. (laughs) And that's a good way to, to stay ahead of the game is to get people to kind of listen to your advice um, because then they're listening to you instead of suspecting you. Uh, It's a weird psychological thing that happens with the game where people just start splintering off into little groups and deciding who's the werewolf. And that's usually where I find the werewolf is the the one that's really hamming up trying to deflect everywhere. Yeah, that's the... That's the werewolf right there. Lynch him. Well, because if you're a ham and you're not the werewolf, you're just going to attract unnecessary attention. <laughs> so it's a bit of a discouragement for role-playing. Not my favorite thing. I know. The player elimination is built right into it. No, the first yeah. person eliminated is going to be sitting out the rest of the game. And then it could happen again next turn, although this game has a mitigating factor for that. As a professional role player, formerly professional role player, loved the role playing opportunity in this game, even though hamming it up, if you will, may invite you to be early on the chopping block. I did not feel that that was necessarily a detriment in so much that I knew there were going to be future chapters. So therefore, whenever the opportunity for role playing is there, I'll go for it. You sure did. (laughs) And I did. And I got eliminated quite often and I didn't care. I mean, there is something else fun to do after you die. And it's because your eyes are open the whole time. So now you've, you learn who the werewolves are and who the non-werewolves are. And you watch the werewolves choosing somebody to eat at night. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury ultimate werewolf legacy. Evan? I liked it as a party game. I certainly loved the role playing, but I was not feeling it as a legacy game. And since there are other legacy games I prefer to finish before UWL, I'm going to have to bury it. Ed? The production values of this game are very nice. 
If you are a fan of Werewolf, then this may be worth it. But I'm not that into Werewolf, except for maybe some late nights at a con. So I'm going to bury it for my collection. Mike? I'm a huge fan of the psychology of the original Werewolf game, and I'm loving seeing how they're morphing it into a legacy game. I'd love to see what awaits. So I dig it up. For me, legacy and party don't really mix. It's almost impossible to get the same group together twice, so it means inevitably some people will miss the ending. No one wants to read half a story, so I'll bury it. You can find this game online. I've seen it anywhere between 20 and 45 bucks. If you have thoughts about Ultimate Werewolf Legacy, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is Wingspan, designed by Elizabeth Hargrave, published by Stonemaier Games in 2019. Number of players, 1 to 5. Playtime, 40 to 70 minutes. Okay, when we spotted this game from the deck of our ornithopter, what were our first thoughts? Evan? Birds are dinosaurs, so I'm hoping that I get to play a T-Rex. Mike? Oh, this isn't about World War II fighter pilots? Ed? The Peregrine Falcon has a wingspan of 104 centimeters and can reach speeds of up to 200 miles per hour. It's bird watching only in game form. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to see how this goes. But before this review takes flight, Evan, tell us how it plays. In Wingspan, you are bird enthusiasts, researchers, bird watchers, ornithologists, and collectors, and you're seeking to discover and attract the best birds to your aviary. Each bird may add a powerful ability to one of your habitats. Gain food from dice in a bird feeder dice tower. Lay eggs using egg miniatures in a variety of colors. And draw cards from a deck of 170 unique birds. After four rounds, the player with the most points soars to victory. Caca! <laughs> Ubiquitous bird noise! <laughs> so, this game looks and feels pretty spectacular. Oh yeah, I think it's a very attractive board and all the components are just really lovely to look at. They obviously spent a lot of time and effort on the artwork for the birds specifically. Yes, there are how many different types of birds in this game? There are 170 different birds, and they had to, I'm sure, get all the features correct. Not that we double-checked, but we're assuming that they're right. And that took a lot of time and effort, but they did a fine job. The components, there were little eggs that you got to place on your board. Oh, yeah, a whole bunch of miniature pastel eggs. They're really cute. got to be careful about that. Mistaken for candy. Yeah, they absolutely look like those chocolate candy-coated Easter eggs. Yeah, so be careful. Gross. Warn the kids. <laughs> and they're totally in Easter colors as well. I mean, I, it took me like the third one to realize it wasn't candy. <laughs> Everybody gets their own personal board, which had lovely landscapes painted on it of the different types of bird habitats. So mm-hmm. you could place your birds in the right locations. And Ed's favorite thing, a... Dice Tower. (laughs) Dice Tower. Okay, you want to hear my embarrassing first? Of course. I have to make a confession yet again on which game first. My gosh, (laughs) it's becoming my own private game confessional. But in any case, okay, this is the first game that I have ever utilized a Dice Tower in gameplay. Now, I obviously know what Dice Towers are, and I've seen them used, and I've, you know, mucked around with them, but never during actual gameplay for some reason. I 
I'm really surprised by that because they're so much fun. They clickety clack when you throw the things in and you get to see like you have that moment of anticipation before you see the dice roll into the bottom. Come on. And how was it for you, Evan? It was thrilling. (laughs) (laughs) Their dice tower is shaped like a birdhouse. Mm -hmm. So they went they went that extra mile to make it perfect for their game. The only thing I was disappointed in with this dice tower is that you put the dice in the back of the tower instead of through the bird hole in the front. (laughs) Yeah, they have little bird holes in the front, but these dice are big, so they don't fit through there. So you have to put them in the back. Oh, they're like oversized dice? They were a bit oversized, yes. With symbology on them for the birds, uh, they represented the types of food that came out. Yeah, they're like the fish, the grain, mice. And berries. So it is kind of fun that the food on the dice comes out the bottom of the bird feeder, and then you can actually pick up the food from there. Clever. Yeah, the birds eat out of the bird feeder. Makes sense. Yeah, so very nice design elements here. How did you think the story of bird watching interacted with the gameplay? The heart and soul of this game is the bird card. Each one features a full-color illustration of its bird, which is very pretty. It's nicely laid out so you can get all the key information about the bird there. You can see what kind of habitat it likes to live in, what kind of food it eats, the kind of nest it builds, its egg limits, its special ability, and of course, its wingspan. And the wingspan is important if you pull a bird of prey. Oh, yeah. So Evan drew a bird of prey first. It was a falcon of some sort. I can't quite remember the name. The peregrine falcon. It must have been the peregrine falcon. Thank you. The peregrine falcon, yes. And upon activating the card, what you're allowed to do is draw another bird card from the deck face down. And if the wingspan was less than 100 centimeters, I was allowed to attack that bird and take it as a victory point. So you basically ate it. Yes, effectively, that's what it is. The powers you activate are very thematic and you learn a little bit about what the bird does. I definitely learned about different habitats. I think that's the thing I learned most. The special abilities didn't always connect in as clean a way as those birds of prey did. That was a real straightforward connection where the theme exactly informed play. What did you guys think of the pacing of the game? I thought the game went fairly fast. And what happens is... There are four rounds, and the first round has eight turns, but the second round has seven turns, the third round had six turns, and the last round had only five turns. So it takes a little while to build your engine, in a sense, in the first turn, but after that, it really rolls, and as Ed said, it does go quickly from there. Oh, man, that first turn is so slow. Yeah, but that's the building phase, Celeste. I know, but I was worried. I was genuinely worried that it would all feel that slow. And Evan is 100% right. It speeds up nicely in the next rounds. If you're going to go slow, it might as well be in the beginning while you're figuring out your strategy. It's an engine building game. So you're building your engine as you go. And each turn is very simple. You only have one of four different actions. But you take eight actions per round. Right, but each round you're taking one of four different actions. And they are play a bird, gain food, lay eggs, or draw cards. And you can only pick one of those. There's three different habitats in the game. The woodlands, which represent where you gain food. The grassland, which is where you can lay eggs. And then uh, the wetland, which is where you draw cards. There was also a cool victory board where you got 
extra victory points if you could accomplish certain things per round. And I enjoyed that a lot for the variety of it. So the victory point goals changed each round and I appreciated that. This one is the most eggs in that type of uh, nest. What do you mean most? I thought everybody was going to get scored. You'll get up to five points for having eggs in that type of nest. So we're scoring for eggs in the ocean, eggs in Japan. Eggs that are on the (laughs) show. Eggs in bacon. (laughs) No, this one's more. This is birds of that type of nest that have at least one egg. That looks like bacon right there. It does look like bacon. Now I'm hungry. I like the way to use the end of round bonus points, a way to modify how you can play the game. Because you got a choice here. You can use the default side which will give a bonus point in rank order of who did the best at collecting that item. But you can play the other side, which is more a little more friendly, where everybody can score bonus points. And we played the friendly version because we're all friends here. Yeah, and I chose to do it that way just to save on frustration. <laughs> <laughs> Competition is, is frustrating, especially when you're trying to learn. So it is perfect for newbies. I mean, you're still competing, right? But you just can't block each other out. That's correct. Everybody can learn, get five points, and that's the most you can get. So how hard is this game to play, guys? What do you think? I think it's really easy to learn and pick up. I would say it's medium complexity. Yeah, I could guess that it's pretty easy to pick up because of how big the audience for this game is. There's tons of people talking about it. It's got crazy buzz. I don't get it. Is that because <laughs> there's that many bird watchers in the world? I don't think it has to do with just the bird watching. I mean, from what people say, the game is beautiful. It's intuitive. So they're they're really flocking to it. <laughs> I see what you did there. But the designer did make the game because you wanted a game about bird watching. It was something she loved. And I think there are a lot of birders out there. Birders. Is that what they're called? Yes, they are called birders. They carry bird books. They They are enthusiasts. No doubt about it. And they take it seriously. And the designer took a lot of time and effort to get this right. He researched a lot of scientific data on it. You could tell. Oh, cool. So you can actually use it as an educational tool, too, if you wanted to. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. If you want to learn about birds, this is one of the most enjoyable ways. I didn't want to learn about birds, so (laughs) it, it didn't hold that much engagement for me. But on the flip side... It also was a nice tight engine builder. So I could just look at it as an engine builder. However, the theme was so involved in the play that I became interested in those birds. Nice victory for the designer. It accomplished its job then. At the bottom of every card, it has a little diagram that shows what continent these birds live in and a little factoid. In this case, it said cowbirds do not make nests. They lay their eggs in other birds' nests. What? Lazy. (laughs) Apparently, the art is so beautiful that you can buy prints of it online. So if you look it up online, you'll see the artist Natalia Rojas, and you'll be able to find a link there to actually buy prints of it. And there's been articles about this game, right, in Smithsonian and New York Times? Absolutely. A really uh, in-depth article talking about the designer, and it's clear you can see her love for the art of birding. Okay, explorers, get your shovels out. It's time to dig up or bury Wingspan. Evan? It's a relatively easy game to play. A bird placement game. I just made that up. (laughs) With enough replayability to keep it very interesting. Dig it up. Ed? The theme is highly represented in its components and its mechanics. The gameplay is very easy to pick up. It's engaging to build a change of cool abilities. And I've learned something about these birds just by playing. I am a sucker for science in games. It is very lovely. 
they get up. If you have an interest in ornithology, this game is definitely for you. If not, it still serves as an excellent engine builder with a very engaging theme. I agree. Dig it up. Ed, where can you find it? Wingspan is a very popular game. It has been selling out about as fast as they can print it. But I've seen a few copies at local stores and some online shops. You just need a pair of binoculars and a bit of patience to find them. They're flying off the shelves. <laughs> there is an expansion coming out later this year for the game, which will include birds from another continent. If you have thoughts about Wingspan, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our last game of this week is The Cattlemen, published by Selshow and Writer Games in 1977. Number of players, two to four, ages 10 and up. Playtime, 60 minutes. Okay, <laughs> partners, when we spotted this find on the old prairie, what were our first thoughts? Mike? Well, looking at the map, seems like Texas is split right down the middle. What's that all about? Ed? A classic game about jumping claims in the West. I'll risk it. Evan, why is one third of the box cover art empty? No, seriously, it's empty space. <laughs> Yeehaw, partner. I'm ready to ride to Industry Monopolizing Victory by Roland Dice. But before we saddle up, Evan, tell us how it's played. Thanks, little lady. <laughs> In the Cattlemen, Players are land-grabbing, claim-jumping, land-barons trying to take over all the land and industries in the Old West. On your turn, you split the money earned among your claims as you see fit. Then players may attempt to jump other players' claims as often as they wish until they either choose to stop or have lost their own claim. When one player takes over all the land and industries, they win the Old West and go riding off into that sunset. All right, we're not we we can't do the whole thing in a western accent, so <laughs> uh says who? Well, we could. I mean, we could. <laughs> we could. But yeah. I don't I don't know if our audience <laughs> would be able to stand it. What type of game is this? A risk wannabe? Area control, I guess. You're right, Mike. It is area control. But it is area control using the most random mechanics possible. Well, only if you go by the rules that they've written for you, which I felt, and you guys can chime in on this, were incomplete and ambiguous. Yeah, <laughs> My favorite. Uh, I think they were a hot mess, personally. Yes. As is quite normal for games written in the 70s. I mean, do you have to be adjacent to attack or not? It's not dated. Not stated. Can you attack from one more than one of your territories on your turn? Not clear. Those wow. are kind of important parts of the game that you think they would want to have written down in the rule. How does Oregon jump a claim on Oklahoma? <laughs> yeah. The rules don't even clearly state what you do on your turn. <laughs> wow. That's great. Make up your own rules as you go. <laughs> it took us forever to figure out when you actually draw cards. You're looking at half of a map of the United States, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it is a completed map of Western United States, despite the fact that this is clearly a game that's supposed to take place in the 1800s. Yeah, it's a 20th century map that you're, that you're supposed to be immersed in mid-19th or late-19th century. It just doesn't. There's no continuity there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Arizona and New Mexico are already states on this map, <laughs> which didn't happen until 1912. So you're looking at the map and then a deck of cards. The deck of cards is 
what, guys? A straight up chance deck? Yeah. Oh, it's it, and that's putting it kindly. I mean, this is the most random set of craziness in a in a deck. Mike, you'd have loved it. <laughs> oh yeah, you can get anywhere from forty bucks, which is a huge amount of money, huge, to losing like twenty bucks. No, no, Outlaws. I lost thirty dollars on Outlaws. What? And for example, the car, the Outlaws cards range from five dollars to thirty dollars of of theft, and they just rob you. Yeah. Yeah, Bobby Blind. Hold on a second. So your turn is draw a card no, no, and no, lose thirty no. bucks. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> slow, slow down. S- slow your roll there, son. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm just getting incensed with you guys just hearing about this. So it took us a while to figure out when you even roll cards, and the only time cards are picked is in the middle of a claim jump if you roll doubles. Oh, only if the challenger rolled double. Right. The defender doubles mean nothing for them. So you're just trying to outroll each other? Like I say, oh, I'm going to attack the Arizona territories or whatever, and I just roll dice against you? And yep, the- you roll dice, except for here's the kicker. The challenger wins ties and wins if you roll the 7 or 11. Oh, my God. Automatic, automatic win, Mike. That was yeah. hands down my favorite part of the game. Wow. Was the absolute advantage that the challenger got. Just the tie break alone is big enough, but when you add in the most common dice roll? Yes. And they're throwing 11 just to be, I don't know, odd? <laughs> yeah. it's The goal was definitely to encourage aggressive claim jumping because mm. that's what this game is about. And once I picked that up, and I got to say, I think I picked that up about half a turn before Ed and Evan caught on. And I just started like going, all right, this is a go for broke steamroll game. Keep rolling until you can't roll anymore. Yep. (laughs) Until you've lost so much, you've got to stop. Everyone got whittled down on the board pretty quickly. Effectively, we were then putting all of our money into one territory and then just declaring war on the entire West, no matter where you were. Go around and try to eliminate your opponent on your turn. That's it. Try to knock them out in one round. Sounds so historically accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and challenging and fun, right, Mike? Yeah, super fun. Wow. But there was a tiny, tiny bit of strategy in that the states were separated into different industries. Different colors for the different industries is almost interesting. They have a muted color for uh, timber, another muted color for oil, a slightly different muted color for the cattle industry. <laughs> I see. A, I, I detect a pattern here. And Ed's favorite industry, there was also. Oh, yeah. The, tra- the rails. Yep. There were also railways. So each one was a separate industry. Gaining a monopoly on those industries by placing your chits there would give you an ad- a further advantage. So this sounds like it's a steamroller game where if you start getting the lead, you just gain more of the lead. Well, you could also get very lucky with a gold rush. Lucky with a gold rush or unlucky with an outlaw card or some other card that has you forfeit a lot of money and or end your turn immediately. Stop cold. The oh, end. Oh, God. Once I realized how insanely random this was and how (laughs) the spirits of Ed and Evan were sinking because they realized there's just no strategy (laughs) or technique to this game. Or way to defend yourself. Yeah. My joy (laughs) increased tenfold. And I was like, yes, let's just do this. Embrace the chaos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I tried to go a little defensive. I, I got a bunch of gold claim money, so I'll just put $10 in a bunch of spots to defend them to make them hot. 
go ahead and try to take these because mm-hmm. now you're going to have to spend a lot of dice rolls uh, taking those over. But it didn't matter. This challenger had too much of an odds to win. You don't even need that many mm-hmm. dice rolls to take over. Let's say, Ed, you put $10 into one territory at, for defense, okay? All I had to do was put 10 or more dollars into any of my territories and say, I'm going to risk all my $10 attacking your $10. One roll, you're out, Ed. Yep. 10 versus 10. But you could also decide to bet less. You can. So you could try to whittle him down by starting with a $2 roll, $2 roll. The odds are so much in the favor of the challenger that stacking huge amounts of money isn't going to protect you that much. Not at all. Yeah, not at all, really. Really? (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that's going to protect you is the fickle will of dice. Oh, that's not ever going to protect somebody like me. Oh, it was so fun. I was actually angry when people didn't challenge me because I'm like, you're (laughs) denying me the only fun in the game, which is rolling dice. Yeah, that's why I throw all my money on the board and say, okay, your turn to last. (laughs) (laughs) At least it kept the game moving. Yes, that's what I loved about it. It was just high-speed dice rolling. Celeste and I had a very interesting five to ten minute discussion about whether the cover art was a photograph or if it was painted. So when you look at it on our website, try and decide whether it's a painting or a photo. I won't tell you what we settled on. Right. We'll let you decide. Okay, partners. It's time to get out them shovels and dig up or bury the cattlemen. Ed? The theme of this game is almost interesting. We'd be far better off playing war or heck, risk as far superior as this game. Bury it, or better yet, use it for kindling in that bonfire. Evan? It's been a while since we played a game with few redeeming features. I can't think of a single reason to recommend this game. So bury it, Old West style. Take it out back and shoot it. (laughs) All right, all right, guys. Okay, here we go. What do you got, Celeste? If you come across this game... For a couple of bucks at the thrift store, I recommend you pick it up. Oh. And I'm going to say, just because if you want to play a game where you don't have to think at all and you get to roll dice a whole heck of a lot and you can watch your friends get upset at how lame it is, (laughs) this game is worth it. (laughs) I had a really fun time watching people get frustrated. So I'm digging it up. Evan, where can you find it? Plenty of copies online, used copies, obviously. They are inexpensive. I saw one for $4, and that was too high. (laughs) If you have thoughts about cattle, man, let us know. We are at Witch Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. So give us a shout on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like more perks and content from this show, including exclusive episodes, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and become a supporter today. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcaster. It really helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at which game first. Happy gaming, explorers. Happy explorers gaming. Gamers exploring happily. Explorers gaming happy. <laughs> <laughs>